You know why you're always good? Why? Because you stay positive and you test right. Welcome into the Buff Stampede Podcast. I am Jake Shapiro, coming to you live from Denver, Colorado. Uh, Chase House somewhere out there in the burbs. Vinay Simlot back in the, the DMZ. Is that what they call DMV. it? DMV. DMV. DMZ oh. is over in Korea. Oh, well, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a news have guy now, so I should know these things. Yeah, have you ever been to Korea? <laughs> I have not been to the DMZ, no. I wish. Chase, you've been to Korea, right? No, I, no, I'd love to go though sometime. That'd be you went sweet. to Japan then, didn't you? No, the Japan is definitely on in the cards though. The motherland. All right. <sighs> I mean, I am Japanese. I've just never been. So I knew you were Japanese. So I just had figured you had been to J- Japan. So yeah. excuse me for for apparently I don't listen to my friends because they're not <laughs> good enough. St- you know, my friends here they're not involved in the stories I'm telling normally. Mm-hmm. I was. Now I got to pay better attention to Vinay because he was in the Denver Post. So I got to keep <laughs> him around as a source. <laughs> you know what's funny this week, guys? Chase had a byline in the Post. I had, you know, worked there. And uh, Vinay Simlot in the paper as well. Whole gang got in, baby. <laughs> what was Vinay in there for? Did you not see? It was the CU no. commencement story I did. Vinay was one of my quotes. Oh, really? <laughs> I said, I really don't care that we don't have a graduation. You know what? <laughs> The odds were probably 50-50 that I would have gone if, the, if we had an in-person commencement. I've been trying to convince my parents for years not to make me go. Because you would have been so drunk hanging out at the Boulder Bars with your boy. There we go. Shots, right? Yeah. Wish. Yeah. Which is funny because the other girl I talked to for the story is one of our friend's roommates or former roommates. Uh, and uh, I call her and she goes, uh, what's up? Like, hi, I haven't talked to you in forever. I'm like... Do you want to be quoted on a story? She's like, yeah, but I'm drunk on a ski lift right now at Big Sky. And I'm like, are you sure you're okay with being quoted? She's like, yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. I'm like, all right. <laughs> that was a good quote. It was a good quote. You, you missed the, the two minutes of her on the record uh, talking about all of CU and their schemes to get money. So I, I cut all that out because that's quite unprovable yeah they're the focus <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 anyway uh jake shapiro chase hall the Simlot, talking about colorado buffalo's basketball here on the buff stampede basketball podcast uh i should know the scores of the games considering i covered both of them and one of our journalism professors that we all shared said that that's one of the funniest things one of the students ever done is remember forgotten the scores of the games because that's their sole purpose is to know the score of the game. But I don't know the score of the game that I covered. All I know is CU won by a lot twice. And it was rather impressive to see them more or less cover about 10 minutes into each game where they had, you know, 15, 20 point spreads chase, right? Yeah. I mean that, that Northern Colorado spread, I think closed at like 14 or 13 and a half. So it was not expected to be a blowout. Obviously they end up winning by 36. I, how do you remember the score when it when it's like above thirty? I think once it hits the thirty mark, it's it's pointless. It's all the same. Ninety-one to forty-nine. Um, I what was I had a line about it, and I've I've even forgotten the line, but it was like it's like I is just what's the point? Like you get you, you're doubling the amount of points the other team scored. It's mm-hmm. basketball, like. Each game, it was almost 62-36 at one point. Like, that's real beat-em-down territory. Uh, That's the perfect number. That's the money number. (laughs) 
I think I, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna say this, so now I can't do that. But my internet password for everything should be sixty two thirty six. Would be a good internet password. Should be, yeah. Just yeah. just tell the tell the listeners it should be that. I'm gonna it's actually change that, that to my okay, phone. I'm gonna change that to my phone's lock screen. Thirty six, go buffs. Sixty two thirty six, go buffs on the fucking lock screen. Um, but yeah, two really impressive wins from the buffs, and you know the three of us have seen, and and anyone who's watched Colorado basketball. Obviously, this year's a lot different, but there have been many times where Tad Boyle's played a non-conference foe at home, and it's gotten to be close late, and the first half was rough, and Tad had to give them, you know, a, a verbal spanking at halftime. That that didn't need to happen this year. And granted, there was only two opportunities for it, unlike no, normal years, and the Buffs always come out flying in their home opener, which they did against Northern Colorado, but. Northern Colorado is not a, a discounted team. They went down the road and beat DU a couple days later. Like that's a solid team full of a couple guys, three guys that could probably play for the buffs uh, and Bodie Hume, Dalen Coons, obviously who did. And then they've got that guard from uh, Sterling. So like I, those are really impressive wins to me, the way they did it. And, you know, I watched the Nuggets the other night, same thing. It's like everything went right for the buffs. There wasn't a single thing that you could look at and go, that was bad. Maybe the first game, just because Deshaun Schwartz didn't score for a while, that was the bad thing. Um, and there was some turnover issues with the bigs, but they're really like the second game that both of those things got cleared up. Yeah, it didn't matter in the second game. Deshaun actually looked pretty good in the second game. He made a couple of threes early, um, got himself going. I think he ended up with double-digit scoring. That's what we've said that he has to do um, for them to win. But you're right about Northern Colorado. That is actually a good team. It's a team that might have a chance um, to compete in their conference and maybe get get the tournament bid. Obviously, they're going to have to win the tournament to do that. But um, they're at an actual competitive team, and I thought that game was going to be a lot closer. So I was actually more impressed with the performance on Monday than I was um, the performance on Wednesday. Omaha has just been getting crushed by everybody. I, they're just not a very good basketball team. Uh, but I, I was impressed with the performance against USC. Yeah, I, I agree with uh, what you said, Jake. You know, with these – not so good teams. You want to see them dominate, and they did. You want to, there were a couple of players I was looking at, at to get things going. Number one was Dallas Walton, who had a good game against Omaha. Second one was Deshaun Schwartz. I wanted to see him um, make the threes, get into a rhythm shooting. He was two for two against Omaha. I thought he looked good there. I thought he had a good game. I thought Dallas had a good game. I'm still worried a little bit about Bartholomew. I don't know if he's quite clicked yet. Um, I don't... I'm not very concerned about it, but I'd like to see him click. I, I guess I, there's a little more leeway for criticism just because he's a red shirt freshman, but mm-hmm. he is only five and for him four games in right. his college career. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. So obviously he's going to keep getting better each game, but I do think that he, he definitely brings more to this team than they had last year. He's definitely a much better backup point guard um, than Dalen Kuntz or whoever <laughs> they tried out. Um, back there Eli, sometimes yeah. Shane Gatling or, or who yeah Eli um, a backup point guard I think that has helped a lot when they when they put in that their second stringers um, he's able to run those guys much better than they did last year um, so I think that has been a positive it's just can he play with McKinley I'm not really convinced at yet because he just hasn't been proven as a shooter well, the, the thing that he did do well is he had four assists and zero turnovers in that second game. Uh, and 
the Buffs have a lot of playmakers that are better than what they had last year. Luke O'Brien came in and ran the point at the end of that Omaha game and looked better than anything they had last year. Luke O'Brien's not a point guard. He's not going to play point guard. But the point is, they've got better playmakers. And what I like when Keyshawn Bartholomew and McKinley Wright are on the floor, like you said, it's essential that both of them can shoot off ball. McKinley's proving that he can shoot this year. Bartholomew has, has not done that. But what I really like about Bartholomew is – because his caliber of playmaking ability and his ability to get to the rim, he's a legitimate concern for defenses when he has the ball. So when they're running circle, which they like to do a lot, and McKinley Wright makes that cut along the baseline coming off the, the double screens from the blocks, that is a legitimate pass that can go other places. Last year, that pass was telegraphed to McKinley Wright every single time. Now Bartholomew can bounce that into the post or drive himself if he sees a lane, which he did. And it was one of the best plays I saw of the, of the, those two games is they were running that exact play. Bartholomew came off of a ball screen. So it was a modified version of, of circle. And he takes one step to his right, absolutely just explodes and goes in for this high uh, scoop shot layup. And it was beautiful. Like that, that's, that was a sign of aggressiveness that you normally don't see from a redshirt freshman as well. And obviously that, that aggressiveness just isn't consistent yet with Bartholomew as you don't expect it to be, but it's a sign of if he gets that confidence and he feels the encouragement from the team and his coaches, he could be making plays like that come later this season where he could be consistently scoring eight to 10 points a game while getting assists as the secondary ball handler. Yeah, I think that first step is lethal. Um, I haven't seen a player with uh, as lethal of a first step as Keyshawn Bartholomew has in in a long time at Colorado. He just he he can just beat you with that anytime, and the defense has to respect that now. Now that they've seen it a few times, um, and, and so I think you make a great point there, Jake. One of the other plays that I saw over the the, the weekend for or the week, I guess, from a, a freshman guy was Jabari Walker made a play. And I, I had the radio call in my ear. I was there at the game, but I was listening to the radio call because the crowd noise was obnoxious and we'll get to it. Um, yeah. But it was really bad in person. So I was listening to Mark Johnson and, and Scott Wilkie, which is always a joy because Mark's great. Um, and Scott's? Yeah. What, what does that say about Scott? <laughs> Scott's a good time. I actually like listening to Scott. Scott says Scott is good because both Scott and Gary keep Mark light. And we all know Mark, like Mark can be very professional on these broadcasts, but the three of us know Mark is like this really funny guy that like makes these off the cuffs jokes. And what I like about Scott is maybe his analysis isn't the best. And Gary says we a lot, like whatever, there's things to pick apart, but both of them make jokes and make Mark want to like be Mark, which is great. Cause I love hearing that personality from Mark because he's like one of my favorite people. So anyways, like especially in like a 30 point blowout that them two are cracking jokes, but uh, Jabari Walker made a play where he hop steps into the lane. You know, he's six foot eight. He has the ball handling to get into the lane and then hop steps and finishes. And Scott Wilkie was blown away. He, he just straight says that's an NBA play. And I was too, when I saw it live, because the radio call comes in about 30 seconds later. Um, I, it was, I, I hate to keep doing this about Jabari Walker specifically, but he keeps making a player to every single game that I go, yeah, that is an NBA play. And this dude is 18 years old. He just, he impresses me every time he's on the floor. He, it's really quite incredible how good he's been for this team. Uh, I even saw some national people were 
writing an article about him that he might end up being the steal of the 2020 class. Uh, he's going to start getting some attention nationally over these next couple of years. I don't even see him as a four-year guy anymore. I think um, they'll be lucky to get three years out of him at this point. Well, well, I, they said – go ahead and Vinay in a second. But when McKinley Wright said this uh, to start the season, those guys that came in this year, they're not going to be four-year guys. I thought he was talking about Dominique Clifford, uh, and he, he could have been. But one of the guys I feel like for sure he was talking about without saying his name now was Jabari Walker. I think um, you hit on this a little earlier, but one of the big points that I see is the difference between last year and this year was last year the Buffs were very reliant on McKinley to create off the dribble. And yes, he's very good at that. But this year you've got a few guys who can do that as well. And we talked about Jabari Walker. We've talked about um, Keyshawn Bartholomew. And at Last year, you didn't have that. It was basically Evan Batty and McKinley Wright who could create off the dribble and and create something for their uh, teammates as well. And this year, you're seeing two other guys who kind of have um, the beginnings of that skill um, show it off in these first few games against some not great teams, but still, um, that's where you develop these skills. Talking about McKinley Wright, he has been terrific. Just absolutely terrific. Uh, again, he was beating up on some not great teams, but in person, his decision-making has clearly gotten better. And I have a hard time watching the TV and looking for the things that you know I normally can see in person. I just struggle with it. But in person, where I'm most comfortable watching the Buffs and I've watched the Buffs for 11 years like that um, – it is very clear that McKinley has has taken a step forward in his decision making and his vision. He credits his ability to in terms of watching film and knowing what he's looking for. But what I've been really impressed with is he no longer looks like he doesn't have a plan. Every time he has the ball, it looks like he has a plan. He knows how to manipulate the defense. He knows exactly which spot he wants to get to in order to accomplish what he's going to. He's just, yeah, he's been really impressive. I think he's improved in every facet of his game. Um, but that's, I tweeted that out during the Omaha game. But shooting wise, he, he looks miles better than what he did last year. He looks very confident shooting the three point shot. I think he's shooting, yeah, 47% on the year. He's seven for 15 uh, from deep so far this year, which is incredible for um, what we've seen from McKinley Wright during the first three years. He's like you said, he's got the turnovers down. Um, he's still passing the ball at the same rate that he was. He's still getting the same assists. Um, he's just making more shots and he's just way more efficient offensively than, than he's ever been. And on against Omaha on Monday, I think he only played like 26 or 27 minutes and he still put together a great performance in that time, 18 points. I mean, that's, that's insane it would take him an entire game to score that much last year. So he is a more efficient scorer and then no turnovers against Omaha. Right. He played, he played 54 minutes in the two games combined and he scored as much as it would take him to play 80 minutes last year. And he did it way more efficiently. He had one turnover, which is the big thing, 15 assists. Uh, He's getting six to seven rebounds a game still. And he, and he's shooting, I think like 75% in those two games or whatever. It was just, it was obscene. Like the things he was doing on the floor uh, were really fun to watch. Um, 
I'm pulling up the season averages right now just because I haven't even looked at them yet. It's only been five games, so it's it's really hard uh, to do that. Uh, but, you know, you everyone wanted to do – and I'm, we're going to do this every podcast this year. I already know it. Uh, everyone wanted to do the Remy Martin thing before the season. Like Arizona state is shit. And we're going to, we're going to talk back 12 hoops in a second. But like, I just, I can't even believe what people are watching and these so-called like basketball experts. McKinley's shooting 65% from the field this year, 47% from three. He's averaging um, 17 and a half points of game with five rebounds and uh, six assists. He's going to be an all American. And like people before, you know, you're like, I oh, not even the best point guard in the country. Like fuck out of here. Like it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, so like, yeah, obviously I think it all starts there with McKinley. It has to, but the thing that was most encouraging to me besides McKinley and in the couple freshman things that we saw, which are, you know, nice role pieces that are going to step up is the bigs. Dallas Walton looked good. As you said, Vinay, Evan Batty seemed to start to find his footing in the Northern Colorado game. And he looked a lot more like himself in that Nebraska Omaha game. What concerns me is they're obviously doing it against a lot smaller teams. You know, the, the Nebraska Omaha team had a stiff and I do mean a stiff, like he couldn't really do anything else outside of three feet offensively or defensively. And he was like six foot seven because that was the tallest guy they could find in Omaha. So like, it's just, you know, it's going to be a lot different come Washington, even who sucks. But it's going to come – it's just going to be a lot different compact 12 play. But it is nice to see some confidence from these guys. And it's nice to see them at least starting to work together, which was one of our biggest concerns in the last podcast in Walton and Batty. But there are still some turnover issues. And if those turnover issues are occurring against Northern Colorado, they're really going to occur when you go and play at McHale Center. Yeah, I'm still in the camp of you can't play them together, especially against good teams. I can see why you'd want to play them together against smaller teams. Um, Cause you can end up dominating the paint, which is what they've done um, in those last two games. But I just don't see it. I think you're going to have to spread the floor and you're going to have to give McKinley more lanes to work um, when you play against these better teams. And they pretty much have good teams from here on out. So it'll be interesting to see what they end up doing with them. I just would like to note Remy Martin in their loss against UTEP. He was two for seven from the field. Oh, for four from three point land. Um, he had nine points to assist in their loss against UTEP. So. I don't think I've ever seen McKinley put a stat line together that bad. He was completely erased from our perspective in the Tennessee game. And it was not even like that. And again, they were playing a top 15 team on the road. They weren't yeah, at home playing, playing university of Texas, El Paso. <laughs> you know, you, Vinay, do you know what their mascot is? No, I know Chase probably does. He's looking at it right now. Uh, the miners, right? Chase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah Utah miners. <sighs> it's a fun game to play. It's naming. If the you don't even know their mascot, mascot, then you should probably put up at least double digit points. In that game. That's that's a good rule to follow. Put <laughs> it on a shirt. If you don't know the mascot, you should put up double digits. Uh, so the the bigs thing has been encouraging. Uh, one of the things that's starting to become a trend is I think Jariah Horn is not that good of a defensive player. His offensive ability is really fun and it's really helpful. Uh, I kind of look at him as kind of a really perfect. Uh, continuation of a lot of the things Lucas Seward was doing last year, although Seward turned into a pretty solid defender. Uh, Horn is filling that role really well. Uh, but it's really, for me, been uh, Horn stepping up offensively and Jabari Walker stepping up in, in terms of his entire game. That's made me 
feel a little bit better about the big situation. I still have yet to see enough out of Evan Batty for me to go, okay, the Buffs are in a good spot. Dallas Walton looks really good, but again, it's just, I don't trust his ability to stay out on the floor and he looks really limited in the things he's doing. Yeah. He took a three and he's making threes. I think actually Dallas Walton has made more threes than Maddox Daniels this season at this point, or at least he's shooting better from three, but I just, it's not the most fun type of basketball for me to watch Maddox Daniels or or not Maddox Daniels, but Dallas Walton kind of struggle to get up and down. He's not the most maneuverable player. And if the buffs run into an elite team, he's going to get torn apart in the pick and roll. It's just, it's bound to happen against these teams with stiffs. Walton can just sit down there and these offensive sets where he can just trail or find his way into the paint. Like the buffs are fine, but, they are doing some interesting things with spacing with when Batty Walton and, and Ryder on the floor. I don't know if it's going to work when a team full of six foot seven and a seven footer guy are there and their wingspan's a lot bigger, but right now they are manipulating spacing pretty well uh, against these, these, these lower tier teams and they're making it work. I just don't know that the paint can be that clogged. Like we saw against Tennessee come Arizona UCLA. Yeah, exactly. And I guess you you make a good point about Dallas Walton's defense as well. I mean, they went to the 2-3 zone against Tennessee. Dallas is great for that situation. Um, but I, I don't know if he can defend the pick and roll, especially against these really good teams. Um, just because you were wondering and you did mention it, uh, Dallas is 3-for-5 this year from three-point land. Maddox is 5-for-19. So Maddox does have a couple more, but a little bit of a lower percentage. See that, and and fuck it, we'll do it. Um, (laughs) The thing with Maddox Daniels is he's been really good defensively, like really good. Much Um, better. Yeah, like he's a capable defender and a guy that's not a liability by any stretch. He's been good, not just a liability or average. He's been good defensively. But when you're on the floor to be the team's best shooter and through five games, you're hitting one three a game, but you're also taking four a game. That's not good. Um, and I'm starting to get to the point where I'm not sure that I want to even classify Maddox Daniels as Daniels as a shooter. You know, one thing that's funny uh, walking into uh, opposing team with locker rooms, uh, and this is true in the NBA and college, is they'll have a whiteboard, and before the game, they'll they'll have uh, the numbers of the players that are shooters. So, like for the Nuggets, it'll be 27 Murray shoots 38% from three, it'll be circled. Harris, you know, uh, whatever number Gary is, 15 or something, um, shoots 37% from three, bang. Jokic, make sure you step out on him. He shoots 36. So the Nuggets will be like six guys. Mm -hmm. Um, For the Buffs, a couple years ago, I walked into the locker room and it was, you know, it was Seward and uh, uh, I think Gatling or something like that. It was Seward and Gatling, something like that. And then, uh, uh, one other player, but at that point, the buffs had another shooter. So what I'm saying is if you walk into an opposing team's locker room pregame or postgame, going into the Washington game and they didn't have their scouting completely correct, which is possible, but maybe not quite as possible because Washington's a conference opponent, Maddox Daniels number would not be circled as a shooter right now. Like they're not going to tell the team to go make sure you close out on him. You know, it's normal defense. Go get a closeout. Make sure you get a hand up. But they're not going to guard him from completely deep and guard him like that. So if Maddox Daniels has a game where he explodes in the next three or four games, that's quite possible just because teams aren't going to think he's a shooter. 
But in the same sense, I don't have all the confidence in the world that he's going to hit those shots right now just because it's not falling for him. Yeah, they're going to start going under screens and all that stuff. You hear it a lot um, in these games, especially when they don't have terrible sound from the crowd. Uh, but you can hear the coaches call, call it out to their defense, shooter, shooter, shooter. And I just, you're not going to be hearing that when Maddox Samuels has the ball, especially when he's shooting 26% um, from three. But that might help him. You brought up his defense. I think he's going to stay on the court and in the rotation because of his defense. And we, if, we, if we know anything about Tad Boyle, um, I think he'd prioritize the defense over the shooting. You know, Pac-12 football loves a 40 to 35 game, but Tad Boyle would like Pac-12 basketball to be that as well. Um, you know, uh, yeah. so yeah, you're right. Like he's going to stay on the floor if he's playing defense and I don't have a problem with it. And I think the shooting will come around, but right now I just don't have a lot of faith in it. Uh, the good news is there's a, there's a good time off between Grand Canyon and Arizona as it's currently scheduled. So maybe he gets his head right. Um, but what do you guys feel about the wings in general? I think Eli Parquet has played terrific basketball. He's doing all the small things, right? He's, he's shooting well thus far. I couldn't take him off the floor if he tried me to, because they just look like a completely different team with Parquet out there. And then Deshaun Schwartz kind of comes together at least for a couple minutes in that second game. And then he kind of disappeared a little bit again, but uh, it, it's a positive sign that Schwartz is finally on the board. He clearly is still struggling with some COVID issues. I, I'm going to let Vinay take that one because of the big parquet mention there. Look, I, I gave you a lot of crap for saying in your article that Eli Parquet does the little things well. Um, I want more for how much he's been touted, how much you've been talking about him. He was supposed to be McKinley Wright's backup, and he's not. He's not good enough to be that right now. But, yes, he did do the little when was When was that? Who said that? Last year, this year. Everyone did said, I say that? You're not a, he's no not a one. that? Nobody would have made that point. Call him a point guard? Huh? Okay, whatever. There were people thinking. Anyway, well, they they used to play. Information from us. Who are you talking to? (laughs) Why are you talking to them? They they last year they would play him at point guard when they took McKinley Wright out, right? Did they not? Yeah. But who else would who else were they going to put there? Shane Gatling. Either way, either way, this year. Like, what are they doing? Either way, I would like to see more out of him. He's a junior this year. He's got to produce. Look, I think he had a good game against. Um, I think he had a good game against Omaha too. He hasn't done it against a good team. I <laughs> he hasn't had a chance. He didn't play against Tennessee. Yes, 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 yes. That's fine. I'm not sold on him. I like that he does the little things well. He clearly makes the buffs better when he's on the court. How's that? But that's pretty good response. Um, I, I'll just. I just want to throw some numbers out here. Uh, he's five for nine from three point land, 56%. He's also shooting 66% from two. He hasn't taken that many shots, but he's been efficient. Um, he's actually nationally ranked on Ken Palm in terms of offensive efficiency right now, his offensive rating. Um, he's third on the team actually behind McKinley and Dow. Uh, he's also ha- nationally ranked in terms of block percentage. So we know the defense is still there. Uh, anybody that watches that team, can see that he improves them on the defensive end. Um, so I just think the the stats bear it out, and as he become as he becomes more involved offensively, uh, I, I think you'll begin to see it as well. 
what else is ranked on Ken Palm Chase right now? In terms Cause of because I, I know the buffs have been climbing there, just the team as a whole. In terms of the team, yeah, let's take a look. I mean, the defense has been really good. Uh, they're currently, but, but the team, the team ranking went to like what? What did you say? Thirty four this week? Yeah, it's at it was at thirty five after the game. It's at thirty three right now. Um, but yeah, you look at the defensive numbers. They're nineteenth in the country in total defensive efficiency. Um, they're eleventh in the country in effective field goal percentage. Um, which is probably the best metric, I think, to looking at how good this team is defensively. Um, they're fifth in the country in two-point percentage uh, given up. So they're just really, really good at uh, not letting the other team make shots right now. So the buffs just the numbers-wise are climbing. And I think that the eye test would bear that out as well. Um, the real test for, for us obviously is going to be when they're playing on the road, because that's when tag teams have struggled and, uh, you know, these non-conference games or uh, non-conference games against Washington and, uh, Grand Canyon. I don't know how good of a test they're going to be. Grand Canyon might just be as good of a team as Washington is at this point. Um, where, where do they both rank on Ken Palm? Check that out real quick, Chase. Let's take a look. So, uh, Washington is one Oh six. Uh, they just lost to Montana this week. I, I think 106 is pretty generous, and then Grand Canyon is 143. Grand Canyon has hung in there with a few good teams. They lost by one to ASU. Um, I don't know how good ASU is now with that loss to UTEP, but they still hung in there. They beat Nevada, who's a pretty good um, Mountain West team, by 10. Uh, so they have looked good. They have San Francisco before they play uh, CU on Tuesday, and San Francisco has played pretty well this season. So that'll be an interesting matchup for them. Um, I think I'm – just watching these teams so far this year, I think Grand Canyon's been the better team than Washington. I'd agree. I mean, obviously the caliber of player at Washington's better than the player at, at Grand Canyon, just generally speaking. Uh, and I like Mike Hopkins as a coach too, but not, not good things going on right now uh, for him. And, and you, you talk about Grand Canyon, like you said, San Francisco, that game's going to be really good. San Francisco pulled a couple, has pulled a couple really good games out this year. Um, Grand Canyon has pulled a couple really good games out this year and Washington has not. They, they've, they've struggled in every showing in, in that Montana game. They shot 33% from the free throw line. And I think missed 25 threes or something like that. It was one of the worst basketball games I've ever seen. I didn't understand even how it was close. Like they didn't win the rebounding. They didn't win the turnovers. There was nothing that should have been close about that game. Montana should have crushed them. Yeah, I I, um, I watched the first half. It it was ne- yeah, it was never close. Um, I was surprised actually at the final score. I thought Montana was going to win by at least double digits, but yeah, they they couldn't hit a, a shot. They're terrible offensively. Um, Quad A Green played horrible, so um, I'll give them that. Quad A Green has been their best player this year, um, and I think he got into foul trouble early. Uh, he ended up with five personal fouls. So, yeah, I think he was in foul trouble early in the first half, and then he didn't play much of the second half, um, but he was one for ten. So that's really going to hurt your team offensively when when your best player does that. Um, but they're not good offensively. We, we've known that about Washington for the last couple of years, and I'm not sure about that zone anymore. I think that Syracuse, that Bayheim 2-3 zone, I think it's dead. Well, it's basketball. because shooting has ready. become so much more prevalent. That's why I, I, I would say, Chase. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think it's just figured out. Um, and these teams can shoot it a lot better um, than they did when Bayheim was at his peak, when that 2-3 zone was at its peak. 
Um, and Syracuse can't win games anymore. They're giving up a lot more points than they usually do. And uh, Washington's in the same boat running that same, same defense. What I find interesting, though, is the top-tier programs, Kentucky and Kansas particularly, have really struggled to shoot. And, and it seems like they still get the athletes where the shooting is the last thing to come together because the athlete is so good in high school where they don't need to learn how to shoot. But these programs that aren't the top five programs in the country, shooting is so much more focused on in high school just because of Steph Curry and guys that have come along, Steve Nash before that, where it's, it's encouraged and these guys learn how to shoot. Like Luke O'Brien could have dominated everyone in Colorado based on the fact that he was 6'7". Like anyone in Colorado that was 6'4 or higher was playing center like until a couple of years ago. So Luke O'Brien, 6'7", should have been playing center at the high school level in Colorado. He's bringing up the ball shooting from 30 feet out. Like that wasn't happening a few years ago. And I think that speaks to what your point you're making with, with zone, Chase. Yeah, yeah, I think exactly. You watch Luke O'Brien in high school and – he he doesn't play like a big man at all. He might guard him on the defensive end, but um, they're all learn. All these big guys are learning how to shoot. And I, I we lost oh, we've lost Chase. <laughs> nice. Chase uh, out. He'll he'll be back. Uh, but you know we're we're making these points about Vegas and, and and what's ahead for the Buffs. And Washington is on that docket. Washington's one and five right now. They're zero and two in Pac twelve play thus far. Colorado's four and one. Haven't played a Pac-12 game yet, but Vinay, I know I know you've been watching some of this Pac-12 play. California's three and four. Uh, Oregon State is three and three. Arizona State is four and three. You know, none of these teams. Stanford's three and two. None of these teams have necessarily stood out. Oregon's been the only one that's been decent at five and one, and they've been beating up on bad teams. I don't think Washington State is anything. They're five and zero. Oh. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think the Pac-12 is way up for grabs this year, more than it has been any other year. And uh, Colorado has a chance. They probably won't get the buy like they do usually, but they've got a shot to get it. The one point I do want to make, Jake, is um, before we got on this podcast, before we started recording, you and I talked about the football team. And you said, mm-hmm. you know, Carl Durrell, you're not sold on him. They've played five games they've beaten four awful teams they've lost to one okay team and I think to me it's the same story for the for the for the basketball team they've beaten up on four really bad teams and they've lost to one really good team so I think when we get into these Pac-12 opponents and start to see the schedule bear out um, I want to see how well they play against the really good teams too that are in the conference um, that, that they'll have to compete with to win the Pac-12. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of comparing the basketball and football programs. A lot of people like to do it, and, and it's only natural, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, but I enjoy it. For, for me, what the football program has done this year has been really fun to watch as a fan. Like, I, I love it. Um, but the, the most erratic thing in all sports is one-possession football games. And the Buffs beat two teams by one possession, maybe even three. Um, they got a lot of turnover luck that was unrepeatable, and they took advantage of it, as you should. And they took advantage of some penalty calls on the other teams. And I think that this year, being as erratic as it was, you know, that does speak to Carl Durrell teaching his team to be, you know, even keeled and moving through the game and, and not necessarily going off and getting crazy about stuff. But I, I don't know that the Colorado football team is actually good. Like they're, yeah. they're, they're decent. They're, they're fine. 
but they're not a great team. And when I look at it in comparison to the basketball team, when the Buffs basketball team has played not so good opponents or even decent opponents, they've absolutely crushed them and done it convincingly. convincingly. And if you compare them against themselves in past seasons, the basketball program this year, when playing in these games, has done so much better than they have done in past seasons. And to me, that's what's impressive about what the basketball team is doing in these non-conference games against not-so-good teams, whereas the football team, to me, was getting a lot of luck. Right. So uh, I'll I'll disagree with you a little bit on the football portion, but we can talk about that on a football podcast. (laughs) The thing with the basketball team is it's fun to watch them beat up on bad teams um, you, you learn a lot from that. You learn how this team looks like if they were eking out 10 point wins against these bad teams, then I, I would say, you know, they haven't done anything special, but I do agree with you when it comes to that, that they've blown out their opponents besides maybe Kansas state where I should, I think I would have liked to see them win by more. My issue is when you go down against a good team, which they haven't done against these bad teams, when you face the adversity you really get to see what your team is made up of. You get to see the leadership on that team, how the players respond. And to this point, we haven't seen them do that. That's my only point is we need to see how they will go in a back and forth game because it's really easy to beat up on a bad team where everything is going well for you. Well, well, that K-State game was that, Vinay. They, they went down early. They were back and forth through the middle portions of that game and, and they came out on top and it was a road game. So I, I, I don't look at a senior-led team by McKinley Wright that's coached by Tad Boyle and say that they're not going to be able to overcome, unable to become, uh, overcome adversity. Granted, maybe I should be more concerned given the fact the way last season ended, but because of those lessons have been learned, I'm more assured than ever that, that they're going to be fine, especially given the fact that after every single game, all McKinley Wright wants to talk about is nothing's taken for granted. I'm playing every single game like my last. And it shows on the court. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, McKinley, I never have any problem with because McKinley will always show up regardless. And he'll play like one of the best point guards in the country. I'm more worried about, you know, you've got a young team here. You, uh, besides Evan Batty, Deshaun Schwartz, um, Eli Parquet, Dallas Walton, everyone else is an underclassman. So this is a, this is a very young team. And, and you talk about last season. Yeah, the, they went through their adversity last season, but you never saw them come out of it. it last season ended on a bad performance in the Pac-12 tournament. I hate to be a downer because this is a good team. I think they'll be good, but I want to see a real test for them. Well, that real test isn't coming until December 28th when they're at McHale Center. And then they're going to have three in a row because they're on the road against USC and UCLA, which are both going to be good games. Chase, while you were gone for a second, uh, we we were talking about how just bad the Pac-12's been. And me and Vinay kind of covered everything, but just a second if you wanted to add anything. Because some people have hobbies. Me and Vinay do. Chase Howell just watches (laughs) college hoops. Chase has got to get better internet. That's what's got to happen. It wasn't even the internet. My laptop died. I wasn't even keeping an eye on it. Oh, so I had to go grab a charger. But um, your laptop's eyes. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I'm not sure exactly what you guys said, but um, I mean, we've kind of covered it a lot on this podcast. ASU 
not good at all, um, which I think is a team that a lot of people expected to have a chance to win this year. Um, the others I just think are okay, and I've kind of said that on multiple podcasts. Um, I do think Oregon's pretty damn good. They played well last night against San Francisco. Um, they keep on getting better, and they haven't had Will Richardson yet this year. When he comes back, that's a huge boost for that team, especially scoring-wise. Um, did they have another think, player open up because the transfer rules changed too the other day? Yeah, I, I think they did add one of their guys. Um, I, I can't keep track of all the names, but um, they definitely did add a guy because of the, trans, the new transfer rule. And so I think Oregon is probably my favorite right now to win the Pac-12. I do think they've played well um, this year. So uh, that is like the only team that I kind of believe in right now. I was really interested to watch Stanford-USC. That would have been on Sunday night. That ended up getting canceled due to some COVID stuff. Um, but I think that would have told us a lot about those two teams. You know, clearly I thought that there was three really good teams in the Pac-12 this year, Arizona State, Oregon, and UCLA. And I'm now at the point where I'm ready to say Oregon's the only team that's really convinced me. Uh, UCLA, I still believe, is a really good team. They just haven't convinced me of it yet. And then the rest of the conference, two through eight, could probably be up for grabs, and then there's a lower tier. So, I, you know, the Buffs if they're able to actually win some Pac-12 road games this year, can definitely take care of business. And, you know, although Washington's been terrible, going into that game in Vegas and setting a tone would be really huge and influential for starting their season off in Pac-12 play on the right foot, even though, again, it doesn't count as a conference game. Yeah, I I think that CU definitely has a chance to get top four. Um, I, there's not a single team in this conference that has convinced me. There's a lot of teams that have some good players, but they have not looked good yet. Uh, I, I kind of wanted to hop in. I didn't hear the full football basketball discussion that you guys had, but it, is it not even worth it? Did you guys? <laughs> but, uh, Vinay right said some things. He just wants to be negative, and you know, which is funny. <laughs> I'm not the one that wants to be negative. Well, I, I mean, <laughs> you guys are two different. <laughs> Benet has his views on the basketball team like Jake has his views on the football team. So it makes it for a good debate. No, 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 no. My, my views for the basketball team will never be as negative as Jake's views of the best of, of the football team. I believe in this football team. I just want to see it. Okay. So, but why would anyone have a positive opinion of CU Buffs football after the last 17 years? <laughs> like just, I don't understand. I it. think Jake, Jake has been through uh, the doldrums a little bit more than you have when it comes to CU football. That might be a good yes. reason. I got here in 2016. That was my first season of CU football. So, <laughs> so I started the, off on the a high last note. few years of CU, your college tenure Vinay, of CU football yes. has been the best five year period of any of the last like 15, 16 years. <laughs> and and Barnett, most of it right? just included five wins. Yeah, since <laughs> Gary Barnett. Yeah. Um, also, by the way, the Denver Post Slack room has just asked me if Ty Evans is coming back to see you. So there you go. So a lot of people talking <laughs> CU football. Hey, it gets people talking. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. one thing. That's one thing that I'm actually upset about. In my five years, five years at CU, the basketball team has gotten way less student involvement and way less um, fan involvement than the football team has when they've been so much better. Barking up my tree, man. The one thing I will say though, is that the students actually stay for the full game for when it comes to basketball. Um, That never happens with football. And and there were some packed student sections for quite a few games last year. So I'll give them that. Um, The one point that I don't know if Jake made about the basketball team and why we should have a more optimistic view about this team uh, 
Tennessee has been really, really good defensively. There are other two games that they've played. They gave up 56 to Cincinnati. They won that game 65-56, and they gave up 38 um, to Appalachian State. So CU's 47 points that they had it isn't really a one-off for that team. Okay. I think that about covers it. We will do a show after the multi-team event in Las Vegas. Could be Washington, could be Grand Canyon, maybe somebody else. We'll see. Uh, right now, the Buffs don't have any room on their schedule, so one of those games would have to be canceled. But then they had to Arizona, and like I said, uh, the L.A. schools open New Year's, and those games are going to be compacted. We're going to have to squeeze a podcast in there somewhere, and then, of course, afterwards. He has been a Simlot. The other person is Chase Hall, who so kindly joined us for the last few minutes. I am Thanks Jake. For having Shapiro. me on, guys, appreciate it. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll give you a ring sometime. We loved having you anytime, Chase. Um, I, I love that. How I end sports radio interviews? Yeah, anytime. I'll always do it. And I say anytime, and then I get a call from them like, "Hey, you want to come on at like six a.m.?" Which you know normally would have been bad, but now that's actually when I work. Yeah, come on, 6 a.m. Monday morning, talk uh, big skin with us. I'm like, oh, God, I don't even know football, but sure. <laughs> you always say yes. I'm like, who's listening to this? But, you know, hey, I, well, I guess there was me one time. Uh, the night after the Nuggets beat the Clippers, I called in because I was still awake the next Monday morning, and I called in to Brett Kane. I said, bring the Nuggets bandwagon, baby. Let's go. Let's, you know, I was, I was just running the brand bandwagon. They just let me go for like five minutes on altitude. It was hilarious. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, thank you for listening. We will talk to you very soon. I've got to get a phone call with the Denver Zoo. So I will talk to you guys later. Uh, right. Have a happy Christmas. Or if we don't, I guess we will. T- uh, maybe we'll talk to you before then. But have a happy Christmas. I think that's what people say. And Hanukkah. Something like that. Mary. Mary on. Stay positive, Justin. Stay positive. <laughs> I wasn't kidding. I do have to talk to the zoo. <laughs> okay. Hey, <laughs> I just I just didn't want this to be an all positive podcast. You know, I just wanted to throw some uh, They just beat two teams by fifty. Huh? Yeah, I know. <laughs> what are we what are we gonna <laughs> what are we gonna hype them up for beating two bad teams? Yeah, they won by 50. <laughs> they didn't just win, yeah. Okay. It was it was over before Justin Guerrero stopped talking to me. <laughs>